0: Let's get loud
1: Let's get loud, let's get loud Turn the music up, let's do it Come on people, let's get loud Yes, let's get loud
0: I am here to tell you that together we are unstoppable during this season my goal is to provide you with stories from amazing women and business owners which will help you to adopt, grow and exercise that entrepreneurial spirit and mindset that already exists within you. I hope these stories allow you to learn, scale and become more resilient. I hope they can show you how to build your dreams and open doors. Remember that you already are exceptional. And you deserve to sit at any table you desire to be in. You were meant for greatness. So let's get loud. Own your today. Own your story. And let's build together a better tomorrow. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Transcend with M. And I am super excited to receive Maria Milagros here with us today. She's a fellow Latina, an amazing book author, a great speaker. And uh, I am super honored to have her with us today because her story is something that you really don't want to miss. So welcome, Maria. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing so great, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm the one who's honored to be here. Anytime I get to share and be on a platform with another you know, woman, especially women of color, I'm like, let's go, let's do this, let's talk, let's have a conversation, let's help each other level up, right?
0: Definitely, and I think your story, um, it's one that, really people can dive in and have so many lessons that they can learn from. So I don't want to give anything up. So I'm just going to open up with the question that I asked at the beginning of this podcast. Who is Maria Milagros and how did she got here?
1: I listened to your podcast. So I've heard this question over and over and over. And I thought, how do I answer that in a time constraint? like how and these women so beautifully answer these questions and i said i don't even know how they do that because i feel like you have six and a half hours for the intro right it's like that um <laughs> that's amazing that's how i feel I'm like how do we condense who we are into such a short package you know um but I, I will say this i have decided this is how i decided from listening to your podcast i'm like i have to figure out how to answer this question this is what i've decided i am <laughs> an evolving human who wants to make an impact in the lives of others to help people move to next levels of healthy and happy whatever that means for this time in their lives by being the living example first and then by teaching from that from that space yeah that's who i am that's
0: that's a powerful answer
1: Thank you. Like, look, you. <laughs> look
0: at you. Look at you've been working on your pitch. I can I've been tell. working
1: on it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's this amazing. You, <laughs> That's amazing. So how do we got where we are today? What is what is the story
1: behind
0: mm. Maria Milagros? Like how did she decide to become all these wonderful things, especially helping others
1: move forward? What what happened there? Mm. Um, so I grew up and I had obviously I grew up, I had a childhood that was filled with obstacles and trauma and lots of abuse. And on top of that, I had an accident that should have killed me and it didn't. And I was able to not just survive it, but to defy science. Right. And so I, one day And not just, I say one day, but you know, it's like a slow, like elevation. And then one day the culmination of it hits you. And you're like, I know what I have to do. It was like that. Right. So it was like this slow climb. And then one day I went, Oh my gosh, I did not survive all that I've survived. And I did not go through all that. I I refused to believe that it was for nothing. Right. And it wasn't just for me because we belong to each other so i know that i know that i know that when one of us has a story of survival or a story of overcoming or a story of resilience or even a story of this one little thing that i did that created change in my life i feel that it is imperative for us to share that because it's what helps us move humanity forward right? And my story might not be for everybody. And that's okay. Not everybody has to like me. You know, that's one of my mantras. Like, you don't have to like me because I like me, right? So my story is not necessarily for everybody, but I know that everybody can take something from everyone else's story to help us, again, move the needle. What does that look like for you for healthier and happier? Because at the bottom of it all, everything we want to accomplish, everything we want to achieve, everything that we believe we need or want is because we believe that we will be happier if we got it. We believe that we will be in a better place if we got it. All right, then let me share with you what I've done to help you move the needle to get closer to healthier and happier. Because isn't that the point, anyways? Right? Right. So I, I've come to this place in my life because I've been through so much. I just know that I know that there's no way that I got that I I, I went through it, and and now I'm on the other side. I'm not. I didn't just survive it. I I'm thriving. I am next level thriving. People who meet me now, when I tell them about some of my stories, they're like, that, that's not true. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. And they're surprised because of where I'm at now, right? And so uh-huh. it's a reminder that our past, the facts from our past, do not have to be the predictors of our future.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. That was like a tweetable. But we can learn from it. Oof. And we you can must. definitely grow from it. And we should always remind us ourselves of the past. Like, I don't, I don't believe on like lingering with the past because you, you can't, Mm -hmm. and you have to move on, but there is always certain reminders that you should never forget about that past. So, so accident, tell me, tell me more about that story because I think People hearing like, I had an accident that should have killed me. It's like, well, we need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. so, and you know, I've heard this story before, so it's very impactful. And I just, you know, it's 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 like a miracle. We were talking about Milagros miracle yeah. before, you know, going live. Yeah. But um I think there is it needs to be told and it needs to be out there because there is so much resiliency in that story that I think it will be a shame if we don't go in and and share uh, that part of of who you are.
1: Let's go in. (laughs) So let's go in. Let's dive in. Everybody ready? Gather around, kids. It's story time. Uh, Okay, so when I was uh, in the second grade um, at that time, there was a lot of abuse that was happening in my home. It was emotional, physical abuse, but there was also sexual abuse that was happening around me from the people around me that my mother trusted us to be around. Right. And when you're that young and because we live in a culture that doesn't really talk about it, you as a child carry the shame of that as if you did something wrong or there's something wrong with you. Right. So, um, At that time, all of that was going on. And then I was in school and this woman walked into my class in the second grade. And she told us that she was offering a free after school program to teach dance classes. And I thought in my head, not, oh my gosh, yes, I want to dance. I thought more time away from my house. Yes, I'll take that. So I went home. I begged my mom to fill out the form to give me permission. And at first she said no, but you know how kids are. So I just kept hounding, hounding, harassing, harassing. I made all the promises. I'll keep all my grades up. I'll do all my chores. I'll do all the things. I just really, really, really want to do this. And so she ended up eventually signing off on me being able to go to dance. And then I started taking dance and I didn't know when I first started that dance was literally going to transcend my life. And I love that your podcast is called Transcend With M for that reason, Um, because I, was in a space of dance and nothing mattered except for me and my body and I was safe in this body, in this space and being able to move and just to freely express yourself, that was unheard of, right? Growing up and where I was from. So it became truly a space of transcending and it became a space of salvation for me, right? So fast forward, now I'm 10 years old, I've been dancing for two years, I'm dancing all the time any program that they offered, or if the teacher found out that there was a weekend program or a summer program, I signed up for everything. I would figure out ways to fundraise or like she would help me get a scholarship, just dance, 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 became my living, breathing way to survive because it kept me away from the dangers of my home life and it helped me almost heal. I didn't realize that until I got much older that there was a lot of healing that was happening in being with my body, but it did, it helped me heal. So I'm 10 years old, it's during a summer program and we're out on the front stoop of the building. And the front stoop is what you would call like a porch. Some people don't know what that means. When I say stoop, they're like, what's a stoop? The yeah. stairs leading up to the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're, we're all eating on the stoop and we're having our lunch during the summer program. And a bunch of these neighborhood kids that were from my block were coming up to the basketball court because the school we were at had the only basketball court for miles, right? Like around, I grew up in the Bronx and everything was scarce. So all the kids from the neighborhood, if they wanted to play handball basketball, would come to that particular basketball um, court. So we're eating and then these kids are coming up and they're saying, Maria, your sister built a swing. On the fire escape, oh my gosh, she built a swing, we got to swing. And I thought, what What are you talking about? She built a swing, like what? Like kids after kids after kids, oh my gosh, your sister built a swing. So I couldn't, it was the first time that I couldn't wait to get home because I wanted to hurry and get home and sit on a swing. Now that might sound weird to some people, but again, I grew up in the Bronx and we couldn't go to the park up the street for a couple of reasons. One, even during the daytime, going to the park was just a dangerous place, right? It didn't matter, daylight, nighttime. It was just a dangerous yeah. place for your physical safety. And the swings were, they broke the wire. I mean, they broke the chain. So the swings were either hanging off or there was no swing and there was just wires, you know, uh, cords dangling. Yeah. Yeah. The slides, we had they had carved names into the slides. So the metal was warped. And if you tried to slide down, you would cut yourself. There, so there was no playground. And the school wow. I went to didn't have a playground. So I'm 10 years old and I have never sat on a swing. So the yeah. idea, of sitting on a swing? Yes, please. Like immediately, if not sooner. Right. So I get wow. home and I said to my mom, can I go outside and play on the fire escape? And she knew that kids were playing on the fire escape because that was like our version of a backyard. Right. Again, I tell this story as people incredible. like, incredible. yeah, why were you playing on the fire escape? And I said, well, it was like the backyard. <laughs> that's what we had this little metal box. And that's where we played. So I asked my mom if I can go out and play on the fire escape. She said, no, you have chores and summer reading and you know, all that stuff. So I get through all of those things. And by the time I'm done, it's nighttime. And she says, no, absolutely not. You're not going out on the fire escape. Now where we lived, her bedroom, you had to go through her bedroom to get to our bedroom because I'm pretty sure it was like an illegal bedroom, right? So you had to go through her room to get to our room. And there were bunk beds, there were five kids in that room. So there were two sets of bunk beds and then my youngest would rotate. The youngest sibling would rotate everybody's bed. So I'm sleeping on my bed. My friend came to the fire escape. And when you leaned over, you could tap on that window. So she's tapping on the window. That's where my bed was. I opened the window like, what are you doing? And she says, come outside and play on the fire escape. And I thought, are you nuts? I have to go through my mom's room and not just through her room, but the side of the bed that she sleeps on is the window to access the fire escape she'll kill me i'll yeah. try yeah so, <laughs> i was like i have to take the risk i couldn't wait till the next morning like what you know all the brilliance that we have after the fact right so i i was able to sneak out i climbed i went around her bed i knew where all the creeks on the floors were like how to avoid certain you know how it is I get to the window. The window is so loud. It's an old building. It doesn't have the mechanisms to hold the window up. So when I open the window, it's creaking. She doesn't wake up. Then you have to open the metal gate to prevent kids from falling out. She doesn't wake up. You have to put up this wooden block to hold the window open. She doesn't wake up. So I'm like, I'm meant to be on the fire escape. All things are lighting up for me. Right. So this feels really good. I climb out on the fire escape. I go through all those steps in reverse to close the window. I go upstairs. We lived on the fourth floor. Technically it was the third, but in the back of the building where the fire escapes were, there was an extra floor where the superintendent lived. right? So we lived on the fourth floor in the back. There were four fire escapes and we went up to the fifth floor. And my sister, oh, in her brilliance, and I'm not being sarcastic, she's so smart. In her genius, she scaled the fire escape bars and then there was a bar that connected the fire escape into the building, and she tied a sheet, and kids were swinging over the stairs, you know, to go down to the next. Oh fire escape. my goodness! So she tied this sheet up there, and kids have been swinging all day. And I saw this thing, and it called my name. I love roller coasters. I love skydiving. I said, "Yes, please take me." So I climbed up there. I get myself saddled into the seat. I start swinging. I had no idea because this was again, my first time being in a swing. I didn't know how much I liked that feeling of my stomach in my throat, you know? And I'm swinging back so yeah. far back that my butt is coming out of the swing a little bit. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do, right? Cause that, then you know, you're swinging, like you are living yeah. fully. So my yeah. friend says she's gonna go in and get lemonade. So she goes into the apartment to get lemonade. I'm swinging.
0: And it was- And this is all at nighttime.
1: This is like two o'clock in the morning. Oh my god! Yes. Okay. So okay. So then, um, I'm swinging. On the mom, right.
0: you see how I'm like sweating? Yes.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. You don't have to. Uh, okay. Everybody works. It saves. I mean, everybody works out fine. So, she goes in to get lemonade, and I'm swinging. And then it felt like a flash. I can. I can play it in my head and break each part down, but it really was so fast. I looked up, the bar was broken off of the building and it had been sliding down the building. And each time I swung back and pumped the swing, it would pull a little bit more. What was also happening was during the course of the day with all of these kids swinging on this swing, not just kids from our building, but kids from all around, no one retied the sheet. So it had gotten loose and loose and loose and loose. And now here I am, two o'clock in the morning, swinging like it is everything, right? And pumping the swing, bringing the bar down, unraveling the sheet more. I swung, up, I was on a back swing. And on the back swing, I was going high enough to slightly clear the cage of the fire escape. And on that back swing, the bar bent, the sheet came undone, and I went up and over the outside of the fire escape. So now I'm hanging on this sheet. It's hanging on this bar. That's bent. I see her coming my friend, but I'm in the dark and she's in the light so I can see her, but she cannot see me. That right there will testify, right? When somebody's in the dark and somebody's in the light, let me tell you. Anyways, we'll talk about that another time. So I'm in the dark. She's in the light. I can see her. She can't see me. I start screaming, but I'm so terrified that, there's no, it's, I'm screaming in my head, but I can't hear a sound coming out. And then I felt like a little, uh, like a little tug, a little, uh, you know, and then I looked up and the sheet came undone. And the bar, the fire skip that I was on had a metal strip that the bars came off of. And when I went down, I hit my head hard enough on that metal strip that it knocked me unconscious, which doctors then later said, that's part of the reason why you survived is because you weren't fully feeling the pain, you got knocked unconscious. On the way down, when I hit my head on that strip, I actually cracked my skull and punctured my own brain with my skull. And then down on our floor, we had a clothesline hook with no clothesline because we couldn't afford one. So it was just the hook. So my leg hit the hook and ripped meat and flesh from my leg. And then when I hit the concrete five stories down, because it was nice, smooth, freshly paved concrete when i hit the concrete i shattered my elbow and the bone protruded i tore every ligament in my left knee and crushed seven vertebrae in my back i sh- sh- shut my mouth my mouth like slammed shut and i broke most if not all of my teeth they're either chipped or broken and then for the bonus the added bonus because you know but wait there's more it's like that the la- the superintendent People, um, addicts used to rob people through the fire escapes, right? Because they knew that those windows were old and creaky and broken and they were easy to access to get into people's apartments. So the landlord and the superintendent's idea was they fenced the building and then the, the back of the building. And then the superintendent had two pit bulls that he would feed them um, raw meat with gunpowder. And apparently that makes them ultra vicious. So one of them ended up dying from this concoction of food and their names were Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. So Luke Skywalker ended up dying. Princess Leia was still alive. So my friend comes out of her apartment with the, um, the lemonade. She sees me. She screams. She drops the glasses. They shatter. That wakes up my mom. My mom whips open the window, looks up to see her screaming and sees her looking down, looks down and said, there she saw me laying in a pool of blood she woke up her husband who then took the lamp who was next to his bed because the dog princess leia had bit into my left foot and she was dragging me into the corner they don't know if she was trying to like move me and protect me or if she was like bringing her food to a place where she could eat it you know so he took the lamp hit the dog with the lamp the dog takes off and then my mom goes downstairs to the superintendent They tried calling 911. At that time, the ambulance would not come to our area because of how bad the drugs were and how um, ambulances were being being robbed and their needles and their things were being stolen. So they said to my mother, if you bring her outside of the perimeter, we can take her to the hospital. My mother's like, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think I should move her. She fell off of a five-story fire escape. And they're like, well, that's the only option, right? So they ended up having to pick me up which I don't know if that caused more problems or not. Right. It doesn't matter because I'm fully functional now. They ended up having to pick me up. They brought me out to the front of the building. And one of the drug dealers who lived in the neighborhood had this beautiful Cadillac sees them standing there with this dripping, bloody child and says, if you cover the back seat in trash bags, I'll drive you to the hospital. So he was essentially my ambulance. Right? So when people, people can say what they want about drug dealers. I'm like, Hey, he got me to the hospital and I'm still alive because of him. Yeah. So when I got to the hospital, um, the first hospital, they ended up having to transfer me to a second hospital because the first hospital, again, I grew up in the Bronx, right? So they were short on staff. They were short on supplies. They were short on resources. They didn't want to do a CAT scan or an MRI. And they told my mom, she'll probably be all right. You can bring her home. After they, like, half-heartedly oh, I wish I was kidding. They gave me seven stitches in my head, 12 in my leg sawed off a piece of my bone pushed it back in and just put a half of a cast with an ace bandage like half of it not even i don't even get a whole cast just half a cast with an ace bandage and told my mom like we'll find out you know my mom's like no i'm not bringing her home she fell off a building she needs scans she needs x-rays she needs stuff well we can't afford to do that so they ended up transferring me wow. to the second hospital and during all of this i'm unconscious i was unconscious uh for about like two or three days And then when I woke up at the next hospital, I'm in a back plate. I have an arm cast. I have my leg in a dial. My foot is wrapped up and stitched up from the dog who, you know, bit me because her fang marks are in my left foot. This side of my face is swollen. My side of my face is swollen and completely filled with blood. I'm in a neck brace and I'm, I can feel blood moving through my body. Like, every nerve every sensor everything was heightened because of what had just happened so i woke up and i was naked so on top of the fact that i'm wearing all this machinery and i'm wearing a cast and all these other things i'm completely naked and i couldn't stop crying and ask why am i naked and they said because every time we try to put a sheet on you or any you were screaming you were screaming and everything my skin hurt like my eyes hurt everything hurt of course so Long story short within a short amount of time the doctor came in after because during that time when i was unconscious they had done the cat scans and the mris and all that and they said she crushed seven vertebrae in her back she'll probably never walk again she'll definitely never dance again and she won't be able to have kids oh thanks i'm 10. right and when the doctor delivered this news to me My mom wasn't at the hospital. At this time, I'm in a different hospital in Upstate. She has four other children at home. We are poverty, poverty, poverty family. She doesn't have the money nor the funding to pack up four kids, take a bus, a train and a bus, and then walk three blocks, you know, to get to visit me. At that time, when I was 10, I couldn't understand (laughs) why am I in the hospital by myself? But when I got older, I realized that there are some parts of our journeys we need to go through alone, right? There are some parts of our journeys that if, This is what I realized. If my mom had been there, she would have subscribed to the doctor's decision that I could never walk again and I would have stayed put. But because she wasn't there, I had my own, like I had to make some decisions on my own. So when the doctor came in, he pulls the clipboard off of my bed. That's how old I am, y'all. It wasn't (laughs) even like he looked at the screen. He pulled the clipboard, you know, old fashioned handwriting. He read, he read it out loud to me and said, you're probably never going to walk again. You're definitely never going to dance again. And you won't be able to have kids. He put the clipboard back and he walked out of my room. I'm 10 years old, laying in a hospital, unable to move, filled with all the stuff. And I've just been handed this sentence for my life. Yeah, I don't think so. So I, at first it wasn't, yeah, I don't think so. I cried and I cried. In my memory, I think I cried for like a month. I don't really know how long I cried for. I just know that the nurses kept saying you have to stop crying because they kept having to bring in IVs. I was dehydrating myself. And they said, You have wow. to stop crying. Like we're just we keep filling you up with fluid. You have to stop crying. And I'm like, but I'm never gonna dance again. I'm never right. Imagine 10 years old, and you're telling me that the thing that saves me from abuse, the thing that is my yeah. salvation that is healing me, I can't have anymore. I, yeah. I that's devastating. That, that feels mm-hmm. like the end. Right. And then one day I'm laying there in my bed and I am like starting to get worked up again and thinking about crying about this whole thing again, because I'm hearing this doctor's voice and I heard get up and I'm like, who's in my room looking around? And then I heard it again, get up. And I thought that's adorable because I can't move. Get up. Now, mind you, it had been enough time now that I could have like the hospital Johnny on. Right. So I had something on. I wasn't just naked. So right here on the right side of my bed was my wheelchair. And because my left arm was broken, it was, I could grab it if I needed to, or I could grab a button and press the button for the nurse or whatever. So I reached out and I realized I could touch the wheelchair. It was right there. So I, that I was going to try to stand up. (laughs) So, because I kept hearing, get up. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try just like I try to get on the fire escape, and, you know, I'm going to try. So I swung my right leg over. Now I had been laying for so long that that leg went into atrophy. I had to drag my left leg over because I'm wearing that machine dial for my knee because at that time they didn't do knee surgeries like they do today, right? Today they go in, they punch in three holes, zip, zip, zip you're done and you're like the bionic woman. Back then it was good luck and God bless, we hope it heals, right? So I'm wearing this kind of device machine, I got this back plate, I have a neck brace, my arm is in a cast and I'm dragging this thing over and I'm trying to roll onto my side wearing a back plate, trying to stand up and I did, I stood up. Girl, Monica, you don't even know, I thought I was gonna take off running. And I could not even hold myself up. So I just collapsed into the floor because the wheelchair was not locked and it just rolled away from me. And I just like, bam, into the floor. No, I'm wearing all this stuff, so I'm heavy. And I'm like laying on the floor, I can't roll over. I can't move, I can't get up. I'm just, I'm laying on a really cold hospital floor. I'm like, all right, this is what we're doing. So the nurse comes, oh my God, Maria, did you fall out of bed? And I said, no, I'm gonna walk again. And she said, oh, don't, don't say that to yourself. Don't tell yourself that it's not going to happen. You're not going to walk again. So she had to call a second nurse. They put on their little back braces. They have to roll me over, pick me up, do this whole thing. Right. Cause keep in mind, I'm wearing all of this stuff. They put me back in bed. Yeah. They take my vitals, whatever they feed me. I eat when they leave. Cause I'm hired. I'm like, let's try it again because I'm pretty sure they would have locked the wheelchair this time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You are, you are 10 and you're just going to do what you want to do.
1: That's right. That's right. And no, the wheelchair was not locked. So I kissed the floor and I lay there until the next shift nurse comes and the next shift nurse comes in and she said, oh my God, Maria, did you fall out of the bed? And I said, no, I'm going to walk again. And she said, oh, don't, don't do that. Don't set yourself up for failure. Don't tell that to yourself. That's not gonna happen. So she calls the second nurse. They put on their back braces. They come, they flip me over, they do the whole bit. They put me back in bed. And in the morning I wake up and what you think I did? Girl, I pull my leg over, I get the other one. And I'm like, this time they locked the wheelchair. No, they didn't. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why can't they just get the clue and lock the wheelchair? Nope. So I kissed the floor and they came in oh my God, Maria. And a couple of times, every time it was a new nurse, She would do the, oh my God, did you fall out of bed? And I would do the, no, I'm gonna walk again. And she would do the, don't tell that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself, right? And I get that they were trying to protect me. I'm doing air quotes, protect me, right? I get that. But sometimes other people's stories are not meant to be our stories and their input is unsolicited, right? I knew what I needed to do. I needed to dance again, period. So we did this for, three, four times a day, and it just got to the point Monica where the nurses would show up with their back braces on because they, <laughs> they already knew Maria's gonna be on the floor like she's gonna be and I'm like, hey, ladies, and they're like, I you smell this girl. So they flip me over, put me out back on the bed. So finally, after like two and a half weeks of that, they're standing outside of my room, they're arguing. the nurses the one of the nurses and the doctor, they're arguing and the doctor says, I will not sign for her to go to physical therapy because that's fine. We'll not walk again. And she said, okay, then here's what we're going to do. Every time she's on the floor, which is a couple of times a day, I'm going to page you and you're going to put on a back brace and you're going to come pick her up off the floor because we can't keep doing this. And she's not giving up. So he stormed into my room. He was so mad. He stormed into my room, took my clipboard off of the end of my bed, signed the, the physical therapy paperwork, threw it on my bed and said, don't say I didn't tell you so. And then he stormed out. And as he's storming out, I'm like, thank you. And the nurses are like, oh, thank God, because we can't keep doing this. (laughs) So the physical therapy started at first just in my bed. They would come in, move my joints, you know, move my muscles, whatever. Then they ended up taking me over to another facility where I would have to do all these things to try to like hold up my own body weight and blah, blah. I lived in that hospital and another, they ended up transferring me to another rehab hospital for almost a year, learning how to walk again. So I had to carry my own body weight while my spine was healing, while my knee was refusing, while like my, the blood in my head was going down while all of this was happening. I had to also learn how to stand up again and then functionally move one foot in front of the other. And then they said to me in order for you to go home, there's no elevators in your building. You live on the fourth floor. That's 48 stairs. So you have to clear 48 stairs to go home. So that's what took me so long. I had to be able to climb 48 stairs without collapsing. Right. So when I eventually was able to climb the 48 stairs, I went back home. And then it took me a couple more years before I could go back into a dance class because jumping, standing that pressure on my spine, I just couldn't do it. And now I would love to say that, and then everything was magic and I never had, I live with residual to do with my spine, but I make my spine, my body, my health a priority and I think of it as this is just information about where I'm at now. Right. And I have this information and I have a choice. I could either whine and complain and do nothing and live my life in a wheelchair. Or I could kind of, I hate to say suck it up because it's not really that it's more like a mindset shift, right? I can honor where I'm at right now, accept and honor where my body is, make decisions accordingly, and then live my best life and dance every day. And I dance, Every day. I'm not kidding when I tell you I dance every day. There's not a day that I've comes seen
0: off. you dancing, so yes. I
1: can attest to that. Yes, that if I don't move my body every day, because like you said at the beginning, we do have to keep an eye on the past, because there is something really powerful about honoring what was, right? Honoring what was, keeping my eye, remembering there is a real option for me to be able. That was a real option for me and still is right. There's some residual things that if I don't act right, that could still be my future. It won't be because I have decided accordingly and I make my choices, but I keep my eye on the past and I'm dancing into my future, right? As I'm making sure that in this present moment, I'm doing what I need to do. The other thing that the doctor said was that I would never have kids. I had a daughter. Not only did I have her, but when I first found out I was pregnant, they all lost their minds all my doctors and all the specialists lost their minds. They recommended that I terminate the pregnancy because they said your body, your spine won't be able to handle this additional weight. The way your spine is already twisted and contorted, it's a miracle alone that you're walking. Why are you gonna add all this extra weight to the front of that pulling on your spine in ways that your spine just can't handle? I'm like, ah, whatever, I'll try, <laughs> right? So I ended up, um firing a couple of my doctors because i'm like if you can't align with my story you're not in my circle i can't have you around me and then got a midwife and we had some real hard conversations about what that would look like i made sure that i did that's when i started doing yoga i started learning about breathing and i really started dropping into and honoring my body and the miracle that i was participating in in helping my daughter grow in my body they said that i would probably end up on bed rest she was a week late they said that I would be mobile while I was pregnant. I taught dance until I was seven and a half months pregnant. And the only reason why I stopped teaching dance yeah. is because the dance program ended, right? Like, and so I, I, we are the determiners of our stories. Yes, okay. we have to honor what is. Yes, I have to accept that my spine is not like your spine, right, and I have to mm-hmm. honor every morning, I have to lay down for 20 minutes on something called a dental roll, and I have to put a curve in my neck and in my lower back because if I don't, I will be in pain all day. That's my life. And you know what? I honor it and I have to be intentional about carving out time to do that for myself. Because if I don't, I know the opposite. I know the opposite and I refuse to live that way. I refuse okay. to believe that I've been through so much to live a life halfway. To live a life, you know, like, like a mundane life. To live it just enough. Oh, it's good enough. No, I refuse. I refuse to believe that that's, <laughs> I refuse, absolutely refuse. (laughs) Hence, why I'm dancing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And and what? I you know I'm without words because I've I've heard your story, but not in so much detail. Yeah. And I think you know. Sometimes we complain about the smallest things, right? Like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm this. And then you hear stories like yours where like, you can't allow yourself to think about your body, your mind, you know, that way, because this is one life, one life that you have to live. That's right. This is all you got. So yeah. what are you gonna do with it? Like, right. are you gonna feel sorry and just go to a corner and not trying your best every single day? Right. Or are you gonna try live with the consequences, learn from them, yes. and then try to try to empower others to do the same? And I think that's kind of like you know why, what we can learn from you that even though you were told at 10 years old that you have this life sentence, at that moment in time, not only were you alone, but also you know, with basically, I, I don't think at that time, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you were thinking about the kids, but more about the no. dancing, right? Yes, but yes. As kids, I wasn't thinking about kids I'm at all. I'm a kid. <laughs> I'm a kid. I was like,
1: I'm okay with that, you know? <laughs> and at that time, but, I was like, yeah. I don't even know if I want kids, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But I think, you know, just just having something that you love so much and fight for it. Mm -hmm. regardless if you're 10 regardless if you're 15 regardless if you're 25 if you have that passion towards something you have to fight with it and we can apply that not just in life but like in business yes you know anything that is that you are going through it is so important to have that self-determination regardless if people keep telling you no or criticizing you or, yeah, you know, absolutely. being that that bug on your ear where like, I don't know why you're doing this, or like, yeah. you know, that's not gonna work. Or, th- you know, because there is a lot of that in our lives. Yeah. Especially yeah. from the people that we love the most, right? So it comes from places that we wish it wasn't there. Yeah. But I had the pleasure of meeting your daughter last year. Yeah. and i think it was such a beautiful thing to see you both enjoy each other and actually support each other in like different walks because you were speaking and she was there just like supporting mom right
1: yeah um
0: how has that journey been where you were told well you are not gonna have any kids and you're like well i'm gonna have this kid and how has that changed your world because now it's not just having the kid it's like with everything you have going on how did you found the power within yourself to care and in in raise that child because mm. this that's a lot of energy and a lot yeah. of power that you need to have internally in order to cater now to another person
1: yeah. right yeah so oh, so there's so many delicious things that you just said, right? And I think I think of it like this. I I developed this mantra over the course because we're evolving. So my mantras change and evolve as they should, as everyone should. But because of my history, because of my past, because of my present, because I set my neck every morning, right? I can't get away from that. Because that's my reality that I currently live in. I have to say to myself, I have this one life and in this one life my two most valuable assets are my time and energy and i can expend those whining and complaining which gets me nowhere or i can take the information for what it is right now and then use that to make the best of what i do have for my life because my time here is finite so if i'm going to if i'm going to be here i'm going to be here right if we're going to do this let's play just like when my friend came to the window and said you know, you should come out the window and come out the fire escape. And I thought, oh my god, I have all these obstacles in my way. I'll try. When I'm laying in the hospital bed and I hear this voice saying, "Get up," and I'm looking at myself like that doesn't feel real. I'll try, right? And it was that. Like I found out I was pregnant, and I'm like, yeah, I want this baby. Let's go. I'll try. And it's not just try. It's I'm going to try again and again and again. And it's that neat that continuation of showing up, right? So. When I found out I was pregnant at first, I, I'm not gonna lie. I was really scared because all those stories come flooding back. Those stories are not real when it comes to dancing, because I dance. Those stories are not real anymore when it comes to walking, because I walk. Now I'm in this new part of my life, right? I'm in this new arena where now I'm pregnant. And the thing that they told me that I couldn't do it's back. Oh, you know what I mean? Like when you, you, you have something in front of you that people are saying is impossible you accomplish it and you're like, what What else you got? And then the next thing comes and you're like, oh wait, this feels scary, <laughs> right? So it did, it felt scary at first. And then I realized, no, I'm gonna do this. I want to do this and I'm gonna make room for this. I, I have decided because of my history and my past and because of how I've developed almost like mental systems for me to get by, right? And for me to not just survive, but to thrive. I developed the system in my head where I said, every day, I'm going to remind myself that this is a choice. I have a choice. I'm going to choose. And if I'm going to choose to be her mother, I'm going to choose to be the best version of a mother that I can. Right. If that means girl, before my daughter was born, I read 17 parenting books because yeah, in all my free time, I knew how I was raised was not it right? And I wrote a list of all the things that I wanted to be as a mom and how I wanted to develop a relationship with my daughter. And every parenting book that I read, I didn't take it 100%. I said, Ooh, this feels good in my spirit. I'm going to add that to my list. And I literally had this baby list. And at that time I was married to her father and he thought I was crazy. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, your (laughs) childhood was jacked up. My childhood was jacked up. I'm of course correct some things because I don't want to pass on to her generationally what was put on me. Right. Right. So there was a couple of things. One, I had already been through therapy a couple of times, but when I found out I was pregnant, I went back to therapy. And I said to my therapist, I want to make sure that I'm not passing on to my child as much as possible. That is going to be dysfunctional or interrupt her ability to be her best self as young as possible. I had to, you probably had to overcome a bunch of hurdles, to get back to knowing that you're capable and amazing. Right? And it has a lot to do with the programming and how we're raised. I wanted to try to remove those as quickly as possible in myself first so I wouldn't pass that on to her. And every day I remind myself, I chose this. I choose to be, to this day, I choose to be her mother, I chose this. When she at every time she has a birthday, we have this little chat on her birthday and it started when she was about 10 years old. And I said to her, I've never been the mother of a 10 year old before and you've never been 10 before. Let's do this together. And when she turned 11, I said, I've never been the mother to an 11 year old before and you've never been 11. Let's let's do this together. Right. And so it's this reminder that I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the information, but it's me and you. It's me and you against whatever the world can throw at us. It's me and you against the problem, even if the problem is a messy bedroom. You're not the messy bedroom. Your room is messy. It's me and you against this. How can I support you? How can I help you to do this? Right? And so she made me, uh, I'm getting a little like, she made me want to be the best version of me so that I could be the best mom for her to give her room to be her best self as early as possible. Right. And so just like committing to taking care of my body, I choose to commit to my daughter like that. Right. And I miss the mark. I miss the mark. There are days where I skip my neck or my setting of my neck and my back. And then I feel the residual effects of that. And I'm like, I am never doing that again. There was a time where I yelled at her, And I had taught her that no one gets to yell at you. And I missed the mark. I was frustrated. I wasn't taking care of myself. So I came out and talked to her in a way that she did not deserve. And she turned to me in her brilliant little eight-year-old self and said, you will not yell at me because you told me that nobody gets to yell at me. And it checked me. And I thought, first of all, thank you, because I feel like I'm doing a good job. If my eight-year-old can turn to me and say, don't yell at me because you taught me that no one gets to yell at me. I said, oh, I'm gonna go ahead and lock myself in the bathroom and take a long shower and do some meditating and reset myself because you deserve better, right? So it was an opportunity. Me missing the mark was also an opportunity for her to stand in her power and for her to remind me of who I said I was going to be, right? Mm-hmm. So I missed the mark. I missed the mark as a parent. I missed the mark in my business. I missed the mark with my health and my body sometimes. And that's that's life. And then the question is though, what are you gonna do then? Are you gonna keep spiraling? I remember I read this, this quote that said, when you have a flat tire, do you get out your car and slash the other three? No, you fix the flat tire. But in life, we tend to like, oh, I missed the mark. And then we let ourselves spiral. Why do we do that? Honor the fact that you missed the mark. Honor the fact that you're a whole human. Honor the fact that you probably had a bad day. You didn't take care of yourself. You, you dealt with a lot of crazy traffic and you know you are not good in traffic. Honor that. And then, what are you gonna do to take care of yourself, so I'm that I'm gonna people- take that in. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I just made that up. That came from nowhere. So that the people around you and your own body and your own life doesn't have to suffer because that one moment, right? And so, like, that's how I I choose to live my life as much as possible, right? And when it comes to the fall, I call it the fall of '88, right? Because it was like. Falling, not winter, spring, summer, fall. It happened in the summer. So, but don't, I think about the fall of 88 all the time. And I say to myself, <laughs> I say to myself, I'm sorry,
0: I'm <laughs> laughing, but it's
1: just, because <laughs> I, you know, it's like that kind of fall. And I wasn't even <laughs> screaming, I wasn't conscious. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I think about the fall of 88 all the time. And I'm like, so what are you going to do now? You've overcome that. Why are you making up excuses? You've overcome that. Why are you playing games with yourself? You've overcome that. Why aren't you taking risks? You've overcome that. And I use that as a very pivotal thing for my life to help like edge me, move me forward, right? And so I I like to say to people, I shouldn't have to push you off a building for you to, and you have to learn how to walk again, for you to understand and appreciate how valuable your one life is. Nobody should have to do that. I did it for you, you're welcome. I took the leap so that you could all learn the lesson the hard way. So now we can learn from each other, from, from, from this story. There are so, there's so many things. One, when you hear that inner voice calling you to get up and to get out of your own way, you need to get up and get going. Right. And I would love to say that I, once I got going, it was fine. No, no, I was in excruciating pain for almost a year. It, that was massive amounts of pain that I put my body through in order to get to the other side. And sometimes we have to go through pain moments to learn, to grow, to evolve. But the question is, pain is temporary. Suffering, suffering is something that we choose to participate in and we make it longer than it needs to be, right? When I got to a point in my body where I was like, let me, let me tell you again, hold on, I'm going to back up. There was a point where I gained weight and I knew that my spine couldn't handle it. And I was just having, I was in a dark time in my life, right? And I had gained some weight and I was in pain all the time and I was having pain in my neck. And I started doing this thing where if I turned my neck, just to look at something on my side, I was getting like whiplashes. So when I went in and had it investigated, they said, you're creating small slices in your spinal cord. Because when I gain weight as a Latina, thank you, mom, I gain it in my hips and in my butt. So the weight pulls on my spine So my spine is being pulled in a way that it it can't because it's not a healthy, normal spine. Right. So it's being pulled in a way, which shifts how, what's happening up top. And my top vertebrae was so close to my spinal cord. It was creating small slices just from turning my head. So something that everybody else takes for granted, I could not do because it was sending me into all this pain. So when I went back to the hospital, they said, listen, you have two options. You can either have the surgery which has only been done four times and never successfully. So no thank you. Or you can lose weight and really start taking care of your body. Like you have to get kind of serious about taking care of your body. I'm gonna go with door B. I'm gonna go with that option because I, I don't believe that I'm gonna put myself under a knife when you're telling me that it's never been successful. The other alternative, actually, there would have been three options. One is the surgery that has never been successful. Two is to take care of my body in new ways and to really carve out time to make it a priority. And three was to just end up in a wheelchair. One and three were not options. Okay, so then I got to cry about it. I had my little pity party. And here's the thing about pity party, girl, the music is lame, the chips are stale, and the balloons are deflated. It's the the wackest party you could go to. Okay. So I was like, why am I here at this sad, sad pity party with balloons on the floor and this lame music I'm out. I'm going to go all the way in on option two. And when we make a choice, I choose it fully, right? You make a choice, you choose it fully. And it might look like creating adjustments in your life. It might look like asking for help. <gasps> what? Yes. Especially Latina women. My God, that uh,
0: doesn't have- happen in our culture. Yeah. Nope.
1: We have pride. Of- yep that prevents us from living our best life. And Mm -hmm. that pride is from an old program. And if we want to create changes in our lives and in our children's lives, we have to model that, right? We have to do it first and be the example. Our greatest teaching tool is our example. And then we can say to our children, Oh, this is how you do it. Right. And so I know that when I choose it and I go fully in, I'm watching my daughter now she's 16 years old and she's like, I've made this decision. And I was like, okay, what you gonna do about that? And then I watched her and I was like, ooh, she went all the way in at 16. That's, it's so rare. Now she misses the mark, we all do, right? We don't always do it 100% of the time, but she has that capacity. And one day I said to her, how do you do that? How do you, and she's like, because you do it, mom. And I watched you do it over and over again. And I thought, oh yeah, yeah. I could run my mouth all I want. She's going to learn more from my example than she is from me just saying things. So if I, if I want a different life, I have to be the catalyst for that. If I want to be healthy, I have to be the catalyst for that. If I want to be able to dance every day, I have to be the catalyst for that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's like, you know, we always say, be the change you want to see and lead by example. It's just simple as that. Yeah. People don't say it because it's, it's a saying and it it is true. It is true. Like I was, so I, My daughter is eleven.
1: Yeah,
0: turning eleven actually. In
1: a fun age. I've
0: never, never volunteered school. Not, not for me. Not for me. Yeah, I'm
1: not that mom.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The other day, I got an email from the principal of their school saying, "You know, uh, your daughter is on the leadership team. She's always she always wants to be involved in." You know and she has announcements she does the announcements in the school and all of that and they were doing uh, a drive for thanksgiving um and they wanted uh make sure that she got to school on time because before the classes started um she was gonna lead the team to put you know everything that they had collected into boxes and stuff to bring it to families that needed um you know things for Thanksgiving. so i i went i volunteered and i was like you know just tell me what i need to do and it was just me the the one of the teachers and then the bunch of kids and you know i observed how she actually led them into Okay, guys, we have to do these mini boxes and you know the vegetables go here and whatever. And she's like, a mom, make sure that the gravy's in the bottom. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, no problem. So, you know, we finished the whole thing and whatever. And then I was like, okay, well, just have a great day. It was like 40 minutes. It wasn't anything crazy. And uh the when I go to the front, <clears throat> the principal pulls me. And she was like, um, she tells me, I just want to let you know that your daughter speaks very highly of you. And she's always telling us how hard you work and like, you know, that she knows that you're not home a lot. But that, you know, she always wants to make sure that, you know, she's living in your shoes. And she always demonstrate like these these things and these things. So the principal was like, I just want to let you know that. Even if you're not home, she's watching. Yeah. Um, and I was like, (laughs) I got to my my car. I was like, I'm going to my car. And I was like Because I always feel so guilty that I'm never home to cook dinner. Right. Like I I stopped being that mom that cooked dinner like a year and a half ago when I, you know, took more responsibility and Um, But she understands that everything we do, we do it, one, to become better, two, to the better of others, and third, because we want to rewrite the narrative that, you know, we don't want to walk the same walk as our parents or our grandparents because we want to improve the future of our family.
1: Yes, yes. So
0: it was such a... uh, powerful moment
1: Mm. where
0: like you never know you know what your example is doing for others right and you know it could be as a mom it could be as a leader it could be as a friend it it could be anything and I think you know what you are doing is so powerful and I think is admirable because not a lot of usually most of the kids are are always told to shut up right, or not to speak up or not to do things. And I think it's such a beautiful way of mutual respect, right? So, and I know you do that with everybody around you. Uh, you How how
1: can I say that I empower people and not empower my daughter? And not give her a voice, even if her voice is different than mine
0: correctly right.
1: yeah I have to give her a role. Exactly. yeah so it is it is
0: so amazing to like experience that like seeing other people doing that because I think <clears throat> when I heard you speak for the first time I was like oh, she's as real as she gets <laughs> 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 and I you know and it's there is there is some some because you know, from the coaching business and everything, there is a lot of people that like say these things but do not like act like it, right? Like it's yeah. just so interesting to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, you get what you get, and it's great, and I love it, and I think <laughs> that's why you know you 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 have these this success in life because. It's, it's who you are, it's your drive internally, yeah. that light that comes out and in you can tell the want that you feel to, to to live, right? And it's it's so and I don't say this in any negative way, but it's almost um it's almost like a little and I don't know how to say that word correctly.
1: Say it in Spanish.
0: Como un poquito envidiable, you know, like you yeah. need to learn, like we need to learn how to walk that light. Yes. I don't know how to say it in English, but yes. you know, it's like, you need to learn how to walk that light. And it's, yeah. you know, it's un poquito envidiable to like, and it is not in a negative way, but yeah. it's almost yeah. like, I want to get there, you know, yeah. like, it's like, I need to get there.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll throw you off a building. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, I, I get, I do understand what you're saying. And I recognize, I remember I was talking to this woman a couple of years ago and she had asked me to fill out this. She was doing an interview and she had asked me to fill out yeah. this questionnaire and she said, what are some obstacles you've overcome? And I'm like, oh, how many pages do you have? Right. So I just like, I kept it to the basics, like emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, fell off a five story building. Right. Like just the basics I didn't even added like divorce and all the other things. I just put those basics. She's like, Oh my God, you've dealt with so much disadvantage. And I thought, Oh, I don't, I don't see it that way. And she's like, yeah. how could you not see it that way? I said, because I've come to a point in my life where, and I'm sure there was a time where I saw it as a, dis- a disadvantage, but I've come to the point in my life where I believe that everything needs to be honored. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had the advantage of being, having to go through that. And I know my body, like, it, like, no, like I don't understand how other women don't know their body this way, but they haven't been through that.
0: We do have a session. I don't know if I know right? my
1: body enough. <laughs> Listen, and I, I know I catch myself so fast. If I, a, if I'm even thinking something that is not in alignment with my core values, my other self is like, girl, you better get right. And I was like, well, oh, I'm sorry. And it happens so <laughs> because of this practice. And I'm like, I know that's because all of those, I've had these advantages of having yeah. to overcome huge obstacles and in overcoming them, I've realized, oh, I got this. I could do this. Right. Yeah. And again, We don't have to fall off of buildings and have to deal with all the abuse in order to get to this place. You just have to honor the fact that, one, those are real. And if you need to find a way to work through them in therapy or whatever you have to do, please go do that for yourself. And then honor the fact that you did, in fact, overcome them. You have overcome 100% percent of your worst days that is something that i tell myself all the time when i start to get a little doubtful i'm like oh no girl you've overcome 100 of your worst days you had to learn x y and z again you had to relearn how to love yourself you had to right and so this constant reiteration of where we are and the fact that we've been there did that got a t-shirt gave it back like i'm in this new place y'all like come on so when something pops up at first the normal reaction is oh that's new that feels a little scary and then i say to myself yeah. that's new i've never done it before i'll try let's see yeah. where this goes. right let's see where this goes because you have it and when you think about the fact that you've overcome 100% of your worst days, that's where affirmations really come in for me, where I would say to someone or say, give me some affirmations, come on right now. Cause I can't have you be in this moment of doubt. And they say, I am resilient. Yes, you are. You've overcome everything that life threw at you. I am resourceful. Yes, you are. You figure things out using other people or the things around you. I am loving. Yes, you are. You show up and hold space as best you can. Wait a second. I am beautiful yeah you are you're the only one of you that ever has been ever is and ever will be right and then we use that story to create momentum and then that momentum changes thought patterns thought patterns change words words change actions actions change your life and then before you know it you're like I don't even know who that person was but I honor who she was because right she is still a part of me and without her I would not be who I am today exactly
0: Exactly. I love it well so good maria i think we i think you and i can just talk for hours and i hours agree and hours. i love this i love this but time has come to an end and your story is incredible thank and you i'll just i just have one more thing yeah i mean i i don't i don't i don't even think i should add this question because whoever listens to this podcast is gonna have so many nuggets of information right <laughs>
1: But, no, a for, paper. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but for those, for those, um, listening, mm-hmm. what is one message of empowerment that you mm. can give them today? Yes.
1: Uh, the most important thing, the most important thing is to figure out for you, cause it looks different for everybody. So honor again, your journey and accept where you are right now. But the most important thing for every single person is to figure out how to get back to loving yourself. Because it it influences every relationship, every decision, the way we show up, the way we move, the way we see ourselves, right? Get back to loving yourself. When you were a baby, no one had to teach you that. We are born with love for ourselves. And then slowly over time, life, society, people, our family, right? You had mentioned the people closest to you say, who do you think you are? Oh, you can't tell yourself you're beautiful. That means you're conceited. Oh, you can't do that. And we are separated from our ability to self-love but you know that babies are fearless, right? You know that they'll go into any challenge, they'll try anything and they're less likely to get hurt because they know that they're gonna be okay. And yet we then are taught through the course of life to separate ourselves from this ability to love. And then that's when it all comes undone, right? So we'll figure out what it means for you to get back to loving yourself, figure out what it means for you to get back to loving yourself. Yes, go to therapy, get a coach, figure it out. Love, 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 love love some more. I'm not even kidding. You got to get back to loving yourself because that's, that's going to be the key to creating change in your life and to being able to authentically show up in spaces of your life, not needing the approval of others. I don't need you to like me because I love me. That's power and that's freedom for showing up. Thank you for choosing to spend some time here. Thank you, Monica, for having me on your podcast. Y'all keep listening. She has some great stories on there. I have been, as soon as I found out about it and I listened to the first one, I got sucked in and I just started listening, listening, listening. They're so good. They're so yummy. And it's a constant reiteration of the power of a story, right? So that's it. Sending love and light your way. Bye.
0: is meant to be fun You're not hurting anyone Nobody loses Let the
1: music make you free Be what you wanna be Make no excuses
0: I appreciate you listening today Remember that it is your reaction to adversity, not adversity itself that determines how your life story will develop now it is the time to do something meaningful and impactful with your story. Help empower others or empower yourself to break that glass ceiling that holds you back. Don't forget to visit our website to learn more about our guests from today and connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram. My name is Monica Dwani, and I cannot wait to see you transcend.